welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. Acts 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own na native tongue? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya going to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. If you happen to keep up with the Christian press and commentators, you cannot but notice in these challenging times references to a growth in interest in matters Christian. Online church has brought in many more people than would normally attend on a Sunday. Prayer initiatives are growing and in surveys the percentage of people in, in, in general engaging in prayer has risen markedly. Of course most are praying for help in times of uncertainty and rightly so but Christians are also asking is a revival in the church coming? The word revival does not actually appear in the Bible, but is from the word revive, meaning to live, and is used more than 250 times in the Old Testament. It is translated as live, restore, flourish, quicken, and in the New Testament as to live again. When we speak of revival in the church, this is not an annual planned week of evangelistic activity, but a movement of the Holy Spirit that is unmistakable, tangible, and brings a, a joyful return to holiness and many new converts convicted by their need of salvation. Its effects can last for generations and, and impacts nations. Such was the birth of the church and subsequent revivals have similar characteristics. On this Sunday, the church nationally celebrates Pentecost. You have heard from the reading about the birth of the church in Jerusalem, when the promised Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and those numbering 120 in a way they could not fail to notice, but could, could hardly describe. Sounds from heaven, like rushing winds, seemingly tongues of fire, new languages that could be understood by others, 
and a joy that made them appear drunk to the people who came running to see what was going on. Later in the passage, I do wish we had time to read it all, Peter gives a stonking preach to explain how the Messiah has come and Jesus has risen. Also that the promised Holy Spirit was here for all and he was powerful. The chapter concludes with folk cut to the heart, crying out to Peter, what shall we do? Peter tells them to repent, turn to God, be baptised in the name of Jesus. Then they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says 3,000 were added to the church that day. They then formed a community that lived very differently and the church grew. Pentecost is the 50th day after the Passover and is an important Jewish feast to give thanks for the grain harvest. The celebration is also tied to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Jews believe that it is, was precisely at this time that God gave the law to the people through Moses on Mount Sinai. Pentecost is also 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus, who came to fulfil the law. Jerusalem was filled with Jews from many nations, so a new kingdom harvest was about to be celebrated and would be uh, celebrated by Christians ever since. In John's Gospel, Jesus teaches the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says he must go. So the Spirit, also called the helper or advocate, which is a posh word for lawyer, he would come. The Spirit would convict the world of its sinfulness and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Also, he would reveal to his followers all truth, declare the future and glorify Christ. Jesus also says at the beginning of Acts that the Holy Spirit would come upon them in power and they would be enabled to be his witnesses, locally, nationally and to the ends of the earth. He also told them to wait in Jerusalem for a few days until the Spirit came. We have to realise what an exciting time that this was. After the crucifixion of Jesus, they had been in complete lockdown, bereft and fear, defeated, fearful for their lives, even accused of stealing the body. Now, they have seen him several times, spoken to him, eaten with him, learned from him. Over 500 had witnessed this, his resurrection. He has told them he is leaving and they are to stay in Jerusalem and wait. This they do, but not passively. The Bible says they prepared, they met together, they prayed, they appointed a replacement to Judas. It was a short list of two and one missed out. So I reckon there must have been plenty of counselling going on. The leader's job title even changed from disciple to apostle. That is, from follower to the one who is sent. They prepared expectantly. And they would understand the significance of the Holy Spirit, not just from Jesus. In their Bible, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon various individuals to do mighty things. For example, Joshua, Samson and David. They would also know about the passage in Ezekiel where the breath of the Holy Spirit turned dry bones into an army. This is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He is powerful. 
and they had to wait just a few days. I like learning and talking about proofs for the resurrection. Maybe it's the auditor in me looking for evidence, perhaps a little bit of Thomas in me too, maybe in all of us. But, to, but Pentecost for me is solid because we can see its effects to this day. This band of fearful nobodies would change the world. And the spirit that enabled them, filled them, made them bold, still does. Peter, a fisherman, is transformed into a gifted preacher, bold and with authority. He would be the leader of the Christian world at that time. And we only have to look at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome to see how he came to influence church. Jesus called him the rock. Following a period of community living in Jerusalem, the persecution of these multi-nation Christians would send them all over the known world to spread the gospel. It literally went viral and could not be stopped. Paul would then take up the apostle mantle and we are still reading his letters in growing numbers. At the end of his preach at Pentecost, Peter says in verse 39 about the promise of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, whom the Lord calls to himself. That promise is for you and me. And my testimony is that at the age of 17, following accepting Jesus, had died for me and wanting to know him, I received the Holy Spirit, although I did not understand what it was at the time. When a little later he filled my bedroom with the knowledge of the reality of Jesus. No fire or wind, but I could not mistake his presence. It was assurance that this was the real deal. Since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has continued to work both in the lives of individuals and churches, and at times in church history, when special and significant things happened. In recent centuries, these have been characterised as revivals, times when the Holy Spirit had come upon the church or area in such power that it was unmistakable. Examples of this would be in the mid-1700s, with Wesley and Whitney, Field in the UK and Jonathan Edwards in America, who saw a massive increase in conversions. Again in the mid-1800s with George Muller and Charles Spurgeon here and Finney and Moody in the States, they were called Great Awakenings. Also a big revival in Ulster at a similar time. We're not talking about a few hundred converts, but tens of thousands, even more. In Wales, South Wales in 1904, there was over a hundred thousand converts. And even in the decade I was born on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides. Here I want to recommend to you a book, Sounds from Heaven, being eyewitness accounts of the revival years in the Outer Hebrides, which I'm going to ask Alex now to read a couple of extracts from. I would like to read two extracts from the book The Sounds of Heaven by Colin Peckham. Okay, so the first one is from page 91. Donald MacPhail tells of the convicting presence of the Lord when he was out in the fields with the sheep. Kenny MacDonald says, Wherever you went, you could not get away from the presence of the Lord. Kirsty Maggie claims God was everywhere, in the very atmosphere. Whether they were godly or godless, people knew that God was there. 
unsaved man in Arnold said when invited to the meeting, I don't need to go to the meetings to know that there is something supernatural going on in the village. I feel it in my own home. John Murdo Smith says, now if I were to tell you the outstanding features of revival, it is this. There was a universal consciousness of the presence of God. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere, on the streets, in the shops, in the school. Wherever people gathered, revival was a topic of conversations. It was by no means confined to revival meetings. Wherever people met, even in the public houses, the revival was the topic of conversation. On the buses, and I know of even two of the bus drivers who conveyed people to the meetings being converted. Everyone seemed to accept the fact that the Lord was working in the parish, a universal consciousness of the presence of God. Catherine Campbell says, the presence of God was everywhere, not just in the meetings. We couldn't get away from the working of the Holy Spirit. God accompanied you everywhere. This is the abiding memory of the revival. Okay, and the next um, reading uh, from the book is um, page 108. William MacLeod said, another result of the revival was the boldness which we all had. Boldness to witness, boldness to rejoice, boldness and such freedom to tell to whoever was listening that we had given our lives to Christ. This was part and parcel of the revival. We were so full of it that we couldn't help but talk about it. Margaret MacLeod said, we spoke to everyone about the Lord and it was so easy. Words just flowed so naturally whether we were speaking to old or young, converted or unconverted. That's it. Thank you, Alex. Your, ex your accent really makes it for me. I take this book on holiday to Scotland each May and am excited by the witness accounts. Alice and I have been to the Isle of Lewis, to the villages revival broke out in. We've even been to one of the churches and its effect can still be seen. In the guidebooks, you're asked to respect that Sundays are different up there. These movements of the spirit are just part of Jesus's promise to build my church, Matthew 16, 18. The church started at Pentecost and will come to fulfilment at the wedding feast described in Revelation. They have common characteristics with each other, of small groups praying for revival, waiting. Two old ladies in the village of Barvis in 1949 on Lewis, or three friends in Ulster in 1859, or a group of pastors in 1903 in Wales. A sovereign work of the Holy Spirit over which there's no control a saturating expression of the presence of God, physical phenomena, conviction of sin, mass conversions, and a boldness to, wish, to witness, and a desire to search and hear, hear the word of God and live in holy communities. This is what happened at Pentecost. Do you want this? I do. So what can we take practically from Pentecost and the Bible verses? Three things, maybe. Firstly, be encouraged. <laughs> Acts 2 verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, 
and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Jesus promises in Acts 1 twice that the disciples will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter confirms it is for all, not just the apostles or the 120 or the 3,000, but those who would follow you and me. Paul is also clear in Ephesians 5.8 that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Greek tense meaning go on being filled, filled with gifts and fruit and power. Secondly, be expectant. The 120 waited expectantly for this new move of the Spirit. They planned and prepared. In 2020, we can also wait expectantly for the Holy Spirit to move in power in our times. We know that the spiritual and moral tide of our nation has gone out. And as the country adopts, as the country adopts a secular position, it's happened before. The Spirit working with revivals has energised the church, brought hundreds of thousands to Christ and affected nations for good. Let's continue to pray, plan for one in our lifetime, especially just now. Thirdly, be energised. Jesus is clear in Acts 1 that the Holy Spirit comes in power so the receivers may be witnesses. In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all people groups. Witnessing and discipling are evidence of a church with people filled with the Holy Spirit. I read recently one teacher say, how do you know when a jar, of cup is a jar or cup is filled? It overflows through the hole in the top. God has given us a useful hole, our mouths, and out of this should flow our witness. But it's not just speaking, however, but witnessing with our lives. Ask the Lord to give you people to witness to. Now that's a dangerous prayer because he will, as it is in line with his will. Actually, there are four things. And this last one is an afterthought that surprised me when it came to me as I prayed. Be baptised. Jesus commands it. Notice that even Jesus, who had no need of it, asked John to baptise him. Peter told the crowd, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have resisted this matter, then this word is perhaps for you. Time to lay aside pride and be obedient. Do something Jesus not only commands us to do, but did himself. I had the privilege of baptising recently a gentleman of even more mature years than me. It was a joy for both of us, and he will tell you so. Children, teenagers, adults, Christians for many years, if you've not obeyed this fairly simple command, resolve to do so soon by telling an elder. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus for your spirit that birthed the church at Pentecost, for rebirthing each one of us who has turned to you. We pray that you would continue to fill us as we follow you day by day. We ask, Father, that your spirit moves again over our nation at this time and revives your church. In Jesus' name. Amen.